you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just want to have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. Hey, everybody. Great to be with you again on this beautiful day. And we are entering in to a conversation about the Bible this week. So excited about this. This has been a long time coming. So we're going to spend four weeks talking about it. It's going to be amazing. Hey, if you are listening to this on an Apple device, if you don't mind just taking two seconds right now and giving a five-star rating, that would be super helpful. And of course, just want to give a big shout out to the sponsors for this episode, which are Infinity Beverages. If you're in the Eau Claire area, stop by their tasting room. Otherwise, find them online at www.infinitybeverages.com. Also, Rise Nutrition from Menominee, Wisconsin. If you're in the Menominee, Wisconsin area, stop by and let them help you with your nutrition needs. Otherwise, you can find them on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Rise with a Z. And in the midst of this COVID stuff, you might have put on a few pounds from sitting around your house a little extra. So give Rise Nutrition a call. They'll get your nutrition back on track and help you to treat this temple, this body that God gave you with all the respect in the world. All right, kicking it off, ladies and gentlemen, with a wonderful woman from out in Portland, Oregon, Deborah Lloyd. I find myself asking a question when it comes to the Bible. Did Jesus really tell us to do this? Did Jesus really tell us this is where we have to be to find God? Deborah Lloyd is a thought leader, an educator, an innovator, an author, and a former pastor. One of the things that I find fascinating about her story is it really mirrors my own story. She grew up Catholic. She loved everything about growing up Catholic. It was a big part of her faith formation. I wanted to be a priest. She wanted to be a nun. I found girls. She found guys. We decided to change our professional goals. And we both ended up in careers leading us in spaces of faith. Her, what I'll call a deconstruction phase, and you'll hear that word a lot as we continue on this journey together. Her deconstruction phase actually started when she was going to seminary. And as she tells it, she said, when I started to learn how to study the Bible, I also learned how to question things that were in the Bible. And that really reached a crucial point, an important point in her life when she planted a church really geared towards young people out in Portland, Oregon. So here's Deborah Lloyd. We were invited to come down here to Portland to start a, a church called The Bridge. And the average age was about 26, but it was 26 because we were in it. Really, the average age was probably about 22. And it was like having, for those of you who have children, it was like having quadruplets everybody having the same needs at the same time. In this church, we had represented 11 bands that were on signed recording contracts, which means that we had a lot of musicians 
We stopped asking people when they came in the door, what do you do? We started asking them, what instrument do you play? Because that's who they were. I went to seminary to uh, make sure that we were thinking right theologically about what was going on and to know how far we could go. We, we tended to be people who went right up to the edge and our congregation, that's, that's where they lived. They lived on the edge. So we had to be able to go there. About three years in, so many intense things had happened. I found myself in very, very deep deconstruction of my faith because a lot of the things that we were taught to do didn't work. They just didn't work. And so we had to figure out what did work. How do we comfort? How do we love? How do we reflect and lead, reflect their pain, reflect the stories of their lives, and then lead them someplace? I lasted there for about, Ken was there for about eight years. We sent him out to start, Ken's my husband, sent him out to start a church for kids living on the street in downtown Portland, which he did. And then uh, I stayed until about year 11, and then I turned it over to the young people. And I ended up teaching practical theology, missional theology, uh, missional leadership, practice and theology of worship, things like that, which is where I am to this day. What a perfect person to kick off this discussion about the Bible with. This is somebody who went to seminary. This is somebody who's pastored people. So there's like a real time piece to this. I think if you haven't engaged with the Bible in community, it's really difficult to have a good perspective on it. But then going one step further, Deborah also teaches about it. And so she's very well educated, very well thought out. And this is just something she considers every single day of her life. So let's jump right in to some of Deborah's thoughts regarding the Bible. I was taught that, that the Bible was absolutely true in all circumstances, in all times, in all places. And yet, it didn't seem like it could exactly be so. Because when they teach you how to study the Bible, guess what? You figure out stuff's going on in there. You figure out, what do I do with contradictions? What do I do with racism in the Bible? What do I do with misogyny in the Bible? What do I do with challenges to gender norms when I'm looking at the Bible? What do I do to the exclusionary scriptures that say there's only one way to find God? What do I do with all those things? And those came up on a regular basis, and we had to have a response. We didn't need to have an answer. An answer is not the same as a response. We had to have a response. As I leaned into what the response could be that would help people grow in their faith and not give up their faith, I began to realize that there's a different way to look at things. And I began to uh, understand that the Bible is more of a reference book of knowledge rather than the absolute truth. For me, I found that the Bible to me, is not literal. It's not infallible. It's not inherent. It's a reference book. Language adapts with culture and changes. And so it is with Bible for me. And I find myself asking a question when it comes to the Bible. Did Jesus really tell us to do this? Did Jesus really tell us this is where we have to be to find God? I hope that when Deborah speaks, 
that some of you who are listening are able to exhale because you're listening to somebody, a well-educated follower of Jesus, a pastor, a thinker, and this is somebody who is saying some of the things that you may have been thinking about for years and years and years. I loved when Deborah said, we don't have to give them an answer but we do have to give them a response. I feel the pressure to give an answer throughout my experience with the church has been one of the most difficult parts about this journey of faith, this feeling like I have to know everything, I have to have it figured out. And I love when Deborah says it's not about giving an answer, it's about giving a response. And those are two very different things. Now. As I mentioned already, she has had the opportunity to engage with the Bible in real time. And when she was a pastor, she was pastoring a church full of young people. And so I wanted to hear not just what Deborah has gone through, but also what she experienced as a pastor and what some of the young people that she was working with, what were some of their struggles with the Bible? Well, the, uh, the exclusionary scripts uh, that, that say there's only one way to find God is a huge struggling point. There are a fair number of people who are Buddhists and Christians I know people who claim that they are Muslims and followers of Jesus. So those, those exclusionary scriptures aren't totally necessary to find spirituality and find God. There's also the misogyny issue, a huge problem, huge problem with modern day women and men. Women can go out into the world and become corporate presidents and make a name for themselves in the world and then they come back to the church and they can't do anything they can't teach boys past the age of 12. you know it's just it's unconscionable and people really struggle with that and i know a lot of young men that won't go to a church where their wives aren't respected they just won't do it the other is gender the issue of homosexuality, LGBTQ, huge issue. People won't go to church where their friends aren't welcome, period, where their friends aren't open-heartedly welcome. And then we've got the uh, racism issues. Gosh, some of the people you see on TV at night that are screaming about politics and things like that are just straight-up racist. Young people, they're, they're not down with that. They're not down with it at all. They, they don't believe that there should be any difference between anybody of any race or gender or sexual orientation. Those are the areas that are the most problematic. things that I feel is not talked about enough is how the Bible was put together. Really the thought process that was put on me in the evangelical church at least, but I would say even in the Catholic church, is this idea that the Bible came down from heaven, it's fully inspired, it's fully true, it just arrived somehow through this crazy divinely inspired situation. 
But that's just not as true as I think a lot of people wish it was. And so part of what we're going to do through this time together discussing the Bible is we are going to dig back a little bit and look into the ways that the Bible was brought together. Because here we have this group of books that was decided to be brought together so that we would have a divine resource to help us to understand God. So we better spend some time figuring out who and how this was brought together. And as we do that, we should be allowed to ask questions about it. You have to look at the Bible and see how it's written in order to get an idea of what inspiration could possibly mean. In the Bible, there's the people that are the stories, like the creation story or Noah. And then there's the people who wrote the stories down. So now you've got two people groups involved. Then you've got the people that put the stories together. Then you've got an editor that makes the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. And then on top of that, you have the people who decide if it's Holy Spirit inspired or not. And so you look at that and you see all the different human hands that are on that. And that should give us pause when we, when we say things like, this is literal, infallible, or inerrant. We need to look at those things. And then you've got the scribes who wrote the stories over and over again, and some of them added in text to clarify, but maybe that isn't what it originally meant. So you, you have all those questions around that. And you have to ask yourself, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? As if this is the holy grail of evangelical Christianity. That if the Bible is not found to be without error, then we throw it out altogether. That's, that's crazy. As if like our faith is going to shatter beneath our feet because there's errors in the Bible. This book, this group of books can be flawed yet still inspired. But there is definitely a strong group of people in this world that want to grab onto this theology of the Bible being perfect without error, infallible, without ability to lead somebody astray. There's definitely a big group of people in our world that want to hold to that and it's causing so much harm in our world. The fortress of certainty is what I call it. I remember in seminary, we were supposed to write all these things about our theology. There was 11 of them, you know, Christology, Soteriology, Eschatology, all, you know, there was 11 of them. And I was having a hard time writing them, and especially the, the end times one. I was getting ready to flunk because I, I, couldn't, I just couldn't get myself to do it. And my teacher finally said, Deborah, just write the damn paper. The thing that was challenging to me is that they told me that I had to have a cohesive worldview as reflected by my theology. I was like, no, I don't. Who made that rule? Who made that rule? And so they started telling me why. And I could just see this, this stone fortress being built with no doors on the bottom and windows only at the top. And that became in my mind, this theological fortress of certainty that 
you know, you can't remodel it. It's round. There's, you can't knock it down. There's no edges for battering rams that, you know, and, and all these people huddle in this fortress of certainty and they're just so sure this is the way it is. And whoops, what happens when we find out it's not that way at all? Luther never meant to start the Protestant church. He just wanted the Catholic church to work right. All right, so here is something that we have to get to the bottom of. If we decide, like I have, that we are not going to be a part of this fortress of certainty, as Deborah calls it, which I love. What a great visual I have in my mind right now. So if we choose not to be a part of that, then what is our other option? How do we move forward in our faith? Because the whole point of this podcast is to help people not give up on faith, but give us some other options. So if we don't adhere to the fortress of certainty, then how do we move forward in our faith? I think God is so big. I think that, you know, we have this salvation prayer, which I think is funny. (laughs) This prayer of salvation. But I think salvation comes before that. When I was pastoring in my church, a guy committed suicide. He he came to church every Sunday, and after church every Sunday, we would talk theology, and it was beautiful. And he understood, and he I could tell he was reading, and he was seeking, and he was moving towards faith. And then he went out, and he killed himself. And a lot of people were like, oh, Chris went to hell. And I'm like, no. How do we know when when the heart has changed? How do we know? Maybe God grabs onto us when we turn God's direction. When we just start looking that direction, going, maybe there's a God. Maybe this makes sense. Maybe I think God has us. I think he snatches us at that point. And I think we create a, a theology of a God who loses most of the time. And that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) So, I think God is so much bigger. I think if you never read your Bible again, you could hang on to God. You could be a lover of Jesus and a spiritual person for the rest of your life without that fortress of certainty. And God hangs on to many hands in many different places. A number of years ago, I was a prison chaplain. It's a position I held for, I think, seven or eight years. And I'll never forget many conversations I had while I was there, but there was this one conversation that I had with the choir director of our gospel choir, which P.S. was one of the most incredible choirs I've ever had the chance to listen to and work with. Anyway, the choir director, his name was Frank. He was just chatting with me off to the side. I believe it was in between two services. And he just started talking to me about his mother. He said, chap, my mom is the most spiritual, most amazing, Jesus-loving person I know. He said, but she's illiterate, so she can't read her Bible. So if you put those two things together, he's telling me that the most beautiful, Jesus-loving person that he knows cannot read the Bible. We have to believe that God is big enough to overcome all of our flaws, including this huge historical flaw of looking incorrectly at the Bible. And so if God is big enough 
we can let our shoulders down a little bit. We can relax a little bit and we can have this open, beautiful conversation. A little while back, Deborah mentioned that when she was in college, she was struggling to write about her thoughts about the end times. This is big when talking about the Bible. So I don't want to dig into this too much and Deborah didn't either, but I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse into what she was talking about in regards to the book of Revelation and the end times. In Revelations, there are 623, I think is the number, references to the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what Christians call the Old Testament. 623 references. Every time one of those references comes up, the Jewish folk would be thinking, ah, it means this. Ah, it means that. So this book was written to reveal to the Jews what was coming, and it revealed rightly so, and to conceal from the Romans and anybody that would oppose the Jews that the Jews were getting a heads up, right? So it was a very specific letter written in a very specific time for a very specific people. Therefore, I think most of it has already been fulfilled. Now, I understand that I'm a horrible human being for just leaving that right there, but that's as far as we're going to go today. But I do promise you that we will continue talking about this as we talk about the Bible. And if when we get done with this conversation about the Bible over the next month, if it still feels as if we have not talked enough about Revelation and the end times, I promise that we will do a whole episode just on that because it's really, really important and it does define our whole worldview in so many ways as Christians. Now, Deborah is this person that's done a lot of work with young people. And one of the biggest challenges that we have with the Bible is there is like this old guard. And I don't even mean old as in ages, but we've got this old guard who is protecting the fortress of certainty and as soon as someone tries to open a window or climb it or ram it or anything like that that old guard tends to come down hard so deborah has some ideas of how we can move forward because it's so important that we as faith-filled people move forward in this really challenging time of our history and so how do we take the bible how do we help a young generation move forward with these sacred texts to make a difference in the world that is going on right now. You know, every older generation thinks the younger generation's totally fucked up. Every single one. So what if we were the people that gave them the Bible and said, what do you see? Put your fingerprints on this. Put your brain on this. Bring it to the table. I very strongly believe that the church is screwed unless it invites the younger generation to the leadership table so that they they learn how to hold power and do leadership well we can teach them we should know how but they also have to be invited to the theological table because theologically they're going to see what's in this book differently than we are and we have to have some good sage minds that are able to guide them through what they're seeing and I'm very excited for that. I hope I'm still alive. I'm, I hope somebody calls me into that conversation because guess what? I think about theology every day, all the time. 
I think about what the Bible has to say about what's going on, how how I should be responding, how it could be different in our world, how the church could be stepping into the conversation of what's going on. And I think it's there for us. has worked with a lot of people who have struggled with the Bible for a lot of different reasons, whether it's that it was used in oppressive ways against them or it just became difficult to understand or they just didn't believe in it the same way they were being taught it was supposed to be. And for many of us and many of you that listen to this show, I know you might fall into that category. And so I wanted to get some advice from Deborah for the person who maybe has set down their Bible for quite some time. And how do you move forward? How do you move forward in your relationship with God when you're struggling with the Bible? I would just, I would put the Bible down for two years and then I would get a completely different translation. Get the message Bible or get the source by Dr. Nyland. There's a, there's one for you. She is a uh, Greek and Hebrew specialist. We have the NIV that was published in about 1973, and there was, I don't know how many white men who interpreted it, and they were all theologians. There's not one linguist in the bunch. So, what do you, what do you suppose the presupposition, you know, when, when you interpret Bible, you first have to admit all your presuppositions, because if you don't get those out on the table, they will form the way that you interpret Putting your presuppositions on the table will at least get you to the point where you're questioning yourself. Every other book in the world, pretty much, that has been interpreted from one language to another is done by a linguist, especially a book as important and as gnomic as the Bible. Gnomic means full of um, wisdom literature. NIV is done by theologians. So, you see the way that they cut up the chapters and the way that they use language that they've got a point that they're driving home. And that, that actually forces our theology in certain directions. So, if you get a different translation, maybe one that is, that is written by a linguist rather than a theologian, by the way, Dr. Nyland is a Christian, you'll find it's very different. It's very different. Special thanks to Deborah Lloyd for helping us knock down the fortress of certainty and start the conversation on the Bible. So wonderful. So many good things to take in from this interview. Excited about next week as we continue the conversation with Brandon Robertson. Brandon Robertson is a pastor and an author and speaker from San Diego, California. Or I should say he pastors a church in San Diego. He's not originally from San Diego. He's got so much to say on the Bible. His journey is quite a story you're not going to want to miss next week. To get more information on Deborah Lloyd, just head over to her website at Deborah lloyd.com you can also find her book her book is called your vocational credo and it's all about practical steps to discover your unique purpose so again deborahlloyd.com can't thank deborah enough for being on the show this week until next time keep walking 